is an absolute uh, privilege uh, to be here tonight with you and looking at God's Word tonight. Um, as you see uh, from our wonderful media team that we are um, starting a new series in our church. Uh, last week we started, and it's the mission of Christ and His church. The mission of Christ and His church. And, you know, we're living in a day and age where we're bombarded with so many um, things going on around us and, and so many concerns and so many ideas that it's so important for us um, to be clear on what our mission is and what we're here to do as Christ followers. It's easy to um, for that vision to get clouded and, and to distracted, and um, it's so important to, to stay clear. So tonight, I just want to start off simple and... Um, Look at it, the definition of mission, the definition of a mission. And um, that is a specific task with which a person or a group is charged. Say to your neighbor, we're on a mission. We are on a specific task as a group, and we're charged by the Lord Jesus Christ. Last time I was here, I spoke about uh, the parable of the oil and the lamps and the ten bridesmaids. And the significance of that parable was that um, showing us how important it is to have oil in our lamps, how important it is for us to pursue Christ and to have his Holy Spirit living in us and be prepared for his second coming, for him to come back. And it was a really good look at our inner life, our inner life. And the parable we're going to look at tonight about the servants is going to look at our outer life, our outer life. And it's important to point out that we're going to have a really difficult time focusing on our outer life when our inner life isn't all there. So these two parables, they go one after another, and it's so important that we keep oil in our lamp trimmed to be truly involved on this mission that we're called to be. And that brings us to our scripture tonight. So if you have your Bibles uh, with you, please turn to Matthew 25, verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. So it says, The parable of the talents. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with him. So he who had received five came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received 
Um, he also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered him and said, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my, my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So strong words from our Lord. Strong words. Serious stuff. This message was a continuation of a message Jesus spoke to his disciples. Um, something called the Olivet Discourse. When they were talking about things that were going to take place at the end of this age. And it was a time Jesus was very serious. And he spoke to them the truth about what was going to take place. He spoke this to his disciples, to his followers, and they were an absolute true description of what's going to take place at the end of this age. And he has given it to us, and we have this to be prepared, to be aware, to be ready, and to remain faithful and stay the chorus. To think this parable is a fairy tale or a fable or something far off would be the biggest mistake of our life. These parables should change us. God's word should change us. These words of Christ, they should come into our heart. We should think about them and apply them to the way we live. They're, they're a warning in a way. And um, commentator Matthew Henry, he said, you know, in the same way we talked about the oil and the lamps and we were stirred up by that to create oil and to pursue the Lord and to fill up our lamps with oil, um, to do well for our own souls. In this way, we should lay out ourselves for the glory of God and the good of others. So I just want to unpack a couple things from this parable to help us as we move along and to get a clear vision of the mission that we are on. And first off, to know that there is a kingdom to come. There is a kingdom to come. Jesus was undoubtedly the master in this story. And he came to this earth in the flesh as the lamb who was slain for the sin of the world. And he is going to physically come back to this world as king of kings and lord of lords. He's coming back. And he's teaching us that there is a kingdom to come. Not just a heaven with, with clouds and harps and that whole deal. There is a kingdom coming to which he will be the king of. And the servants, the servants in the story are undoubtedly us. They're undoubtedly the Christ followers, right? And someone put it like this. The servants are Christians, his own servants, bought with his money, devoted to his praise, and employed to do his work. 
Are there any servants here today? Anybody who's been bought with his money, who's been devoted to his praise and, in, and employed to do his work? That's one of those times when you would say, if you know, you know, right? We've been, we've been, we're not our own, the Bible says, that we've been purchased by the blood of Christ. We are his servants. One really interesting thing to me as I study this parable is that the talent in this is not like our talent, like our gifts and our skills, although we'll get to that. A talent was an ancient um, unit of measurement they used in those days. And a talent was equal to 75 pounds, 75 pounds. And so um, this servant um, was given, seven, excuse me, uh, a talent. They were given all talents. And so let's just look at this person who got the one talent, 75 pounds. So right now, um, a pound of gold is worth $22,375, excuse me, $22,375. So 75 times that, that, that one talent would be worth $1.6 million is what that servant got left with. Okay, and then the next um, servant, he got two talents, which would be equivalent to three point three million dollars. And the guy who got the five talents would be equivalent to eight point three million dollars. So in this story, this parable, we see that, you know, one was given one, one was given two, the other was given five. They seem like small things. They seem like like kind of um, Numbers that don't really mean anything, but in fact, they were all given a huge fortune. They were all given a huge treasure that they were responsible to take care of. You know, once you um, get to that level, you know, who here wouldn't mind $1.6 million right now? One talent of gold right now wouldn't seem like such a bad thing. In fact, that might be what they call a game changer for some of us. A game changer. The interesting thing is that knowing Christ and following Christ is a game changer. It's a life changer, a life changing event. A massive increase of the quality of your life here and now. It's a complete change of direction of your life, not only here and now, but also for all of eternity. So money does not compare to knowing Christ, to, to having him in your life. You know, when we come to that point in our life where we realize, we have a realization that he is God, that there is a God, and he is the great I am. It's an incredible point in our life. I don't know if anybody have experienced it here. When you just know in your heart of hearts that there is a God, there is a God. And you have to think about that for a minute. And as you take hold of him, he takes hold of you. And your life begins to change. And I remember when I first realized that, I thought, man, what am I going to do with this now? What am I going to do with this? I realize I'm saved. I, I recognize the truth of the gospel. There is a God. Where am I going to go from here? This is such a big thing. And we really need to take a minute and sit back and look at our life and think hard about this and say, man, where are we going to go now from here? That we've recognized Christ, we know him, and he's coming to our life, I'm following him, I'm, 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 I'm saved, I'm sealed for the day of redemption. What am I going to do with this now? We're going to look at the servant with the one talent, and I'm afraid so many people fall into this category because they don't see the value of this. 
We've been coming to church. We've been hearing the things. And we think, yeah, I get it. I've got one talent. But that one talent, remember, has such value. The message of Christ, the eternal message of his salvation and the kingdom to come is a priceless thing that we carry. Those of us who say we believe, we believe we carry this one talent. And the problem with the fellow with the one talent is that he didn't engage in anything. He did not engage like the other two did. He avoided this treasure he was given and he went and dug it in the ground. He hid it. He hid it. Jesus said, you know, we've been given a a light, and when we get a light, we don't put it under a bushel. We don't hide it. We stand, and we let that light shine, and this fellow, he took it, and he hid it. He dug it, And, and one commentator wrote, it was actually more work to go and dig a hole and hide it that whole time to do something with it, to do something with it, and I find that's so like human nature when we have something like our faith to share. It's, we go through more work to not share sometimes. We avoid conversations. We avoid people. We avoid doing things. We even avoid serving sometimes because we just say, you know what, like, I just don't, I'm not there. You know, we, we, we might not see the value in this like we need to, you know. And um, the interesting thing here is that Jesus requires from us faithfulness faithfulness. It's not about these numbers. It's not about how many talents one had and how many talents the other had. It's faithfulness, and and it's not the results of it. He's looking for the faithful servant. And, you know, in regards to numbers and all these things and big churches and small churches, faithfulness is so key. When I was a kid, I went to uh, this, this church called the Church of the Nazarene. It was just outside Caledonia, and um, these two ladies from the Faith Mission, they would do a wonderful kids program every Wednesday. Every Wednesday, they would show up, and they would put on this amazing program. And the crazy part was is there was only two kids there. It was me and my younger brother. <laughs> and they were so faithful to come every week, every week. And they played their heart out, and they did awesome games, and they did everything. And... They blessed us. They blessed us. And, and even when we were kids, we could see that these people, they didn't care that there wasn't 50 kids or 20 kids. They're just there serving the Lord. And they were just there being faithful to God, right? And it's still impressed upon me to this day as servants of God that it's not about the numbers. It's not about how hard you work or what you do, but they were, they were faithful to him. They were faithful, And one thing you know um, about this servant with the one talent, you know, it's so interesting. He said, I knew you to be a hard man. I knew you to be a hard man. And ultimately, reading through this, it struck me that, you know, this servant, he didn't even know the Lord. He didn't even know his master. You know, he failed to submit himself to his master, You know, it's not that the servant didn't work hard or or earn enough. It was actually that he just didn't know the Lord. Who here who would say they know the Lord would say, you know what, the Lord is a hard man. He's a hard master. Absolutely not. He did not know the Lord. And so the problem was that he was he didn't produce anything. It was that he he wasn't faithful to the Lord because he didn't know him. When we know the Lord, it produces faithfulness. 
We realize what he's done in our life. We get to know him. We get to know his word. And it starts a fire in us that we just say, you know what? I just got to do something with this. I got to tell somebody about this. I know so many wonderful people in this church who, who have taken hold of the Lord and say, I'll, I'll serve wherever there needs to be anything. I just want somebody else to get this, to get this. And it, it's a natural thing that happens. It's a natural thing. And faithfulness produces fruitfulness, fruitfulness. And that's what the Lord is looking for for each of us, for each of us. Numbers aren't important. Like I said, they were all given different things, but the outcome was the same for the, for the two of them, right? They both heard the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You have been faithful. You have been faithful. He didn't say to the one with five, hey, you did better than the guy with two. You know, he's just looking for faithfulness. What we've been given God wants us to do the best with. He wants us to use it to glorify him and to continue his work on this earth. And, and the sad thing about the guy with the one talent is that he wasted his opportunity. He wasted his opportunity. He heard the truth. He was a believer, you know, being a servant, but he wasted what he was given. And at the end of that parable, it gets pretty harsh, Right? He was taken from what he had and he was cast into outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every time I read that in the Bible, a chill runs up my spine, this weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we typically read about it at the end of the age when we stand before the Lord, when he gathers the sheep and the goats and he separates them. This term weeping and gnashing, the weeping is obviously sorrow. It's crying. It's regret. And the gnashing of teeth, it's an anger. It's a, I can't believe it. It's a gritting your teeth and it's a gnashing. And it's both these things. Like I was so close and I had it. And I, I had the message and I didn't do anything with it. I didn't let it get into my heart. I didn't let it affect me. I didn't allow the Lord to have his way in my life. And it was a wasted opportunity. We have an incredible opportunity here and now. Here and now... Um, in this church, in our community, in our families, in our workplace, in our own lives. We have an incredible opportunity right now to get this, to get, take hold of this, to take God's word for, for what he says and to apply it to our lives, right? To make the most of this precious treasure we've been given, his word, his plan, what he's done for us, and the truth about his kingdom, the truth about life and death. So um, I'm just going to look at real-life servants. What does this all mean to us? How do we bring this home, and, and what's it look like for us? What's this all look like for us leaving here today? You know, um, in Matthew 9:36, speaking of Jesus, says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers in his field. I really believe that to start on this journey of servanthood and to serve and to love like God's um, commanded us and charged us is to start with looking at the crowds around us and ask God to give compassion for them. Lord, give me compassion for my church. God, give me compassion for my family. Give me compassion for my workplace. 
Lord, the compassion that you have for people, the love that you have for people, God. It's such a beautiful thing. And Jesus says, you know, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. You know, I'll tell you right now, the harvest is great outside these doors. I'm sure the harvest is great inside these doors too, but we're living in a time where people are questioning, where are we heading? Where are we going? People are searching for answers. People are realizing that we're headed in a direction that's not good. The good old days have come to an end, and this new whatever it is we're at is not okay. And, and so many people right now are, are asking, and, and we have such an um, awesome opportunity to point them the way to Christ, to say, you know, there is a hope. There is a God that holds the world in the palm of his hands. He's the author of life. He's the Alpha and the Omega, and he knows exactly what's going to happen because he's designed it all, and there is a plan and a purpose for all of this. In this real-life servant stuff, you know, I've been a Christian my my whole life, I would say. It's been an up-and-down thing, and, you know, I don't know if anybody else here has felt like being a Christian at times, like, is there more? Is there more? You know, I've been coming to church, like, I know some verses, I listen to messages, but is there more? Is there more? I've felt like that, and I've talked to people like that, and um, I think that there is, and, and one thing's for sure is as Christians, we're not meant to be idle. We're not meant to be idle. We're supposed to live with a certain type of urgency. You know, life goes by so fast, so fast. It, it flies by, and, and we know that we are here on a mission. And it's so important to stay mission-minded, mission-focused, because any time, our time could be up here. And, and so many opportunities come our way in life. And if we're not prepared, if we're not mission-focused, the opportunities will come and go. And I really believe that once we enter into eternity and look back, we say, oh, Lord, forgive me. I can't believe I messed that up. I can't believe I didn't talk to that person then. You know, we have so many awesome opportunities to be on this mission, to share Christ's message of him and his church and his kingdom um, to come. You know, we're not meant to get cozy here. We're not meant to get cozy here, which is something that goes against our culture like crazy because in the Western culture, we've just been taught and conditioned to pursue comfort, to pursue it. It's just like the life that we live. And, and you know, um, it's okay to work hard. It's okay to have a house. It's okay to have that stuff. But still in our mind, we should know that, man, this isn't our home. This isn't our home, and there's, there's a kingdom coming. This world, as we know it, will come to an end. And I believe that the old poet said, he said that comfort is the enemy of, of progress. And I think as we read these words, as we get into God's word, it changes our mind. It gives us an urgency to say, you know what? There are people dying every day who don't know the Lord. There's my family. We all know people at work and friends who don't know the Lord. Who, who are lost, and, and we need to be able to, to say and stand before the Lord, Lord, I did everything, I did everything in my power, Lord, I did everything that you called me to do, you know, it wasn't perfect, it was up and down, but God, I fought the good fight, and I, and I labored for you, God, and I believe that there's three things that a servant needs, three characteristics a, a servant needs, and that's faithfulness, zeal, and labor, faithfulness, zeal, and labor. So the faithfulness is just to know him, to know God, to be passionate about his mission would be zeal, to know him and, and be passionate about his, his, who he is, his mission, and the church's mission. And, and the labor, 
is to get out there and do it, is to do something, to do something, to have those conversations, to join that Bible study, to join that men's group, wherever it is at church. Again, it doesn't have to be something fancy. It doesn't have to be leading something or starting something. It could be something as, as sweeping the floors. It could be something as the smallest thing, as long the Lord's just looking for faithfulness faithfulness he's looking for and and it and it and it comes out of labor to us you know it 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 might be a sacrifice you know it might be a sacrifice on our part to to you know i gotta i gotta put aside the precious tv tonight because i gotta get out and i gotta serve the lord tonight i gotta do something worthwhile tonight that has eternal value and let's just be clear as we talk about this that none of our works none of our labor ever earns salvation we know that through the truth of Christ that we are saved by his grace and grace alone. And, but like I said, we have to say to ourselves, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Because salvation isn't the finish line. It's just the start, right? And labor is a funny word. Labor. I don't know what you think of labor, but it's probably not a good thing, right? Labor is, is like work, right? It's like grueling type work, it sounds like, right? Labor is a good thing. Without labor, we wouldn't have had supper tonight. Without labor, we wouldn't have any clothes here to wear. Without labor, we wouldn't have cars. It's a necessary thing. It's something that our world has that, that, that makes it go around. Without labor, everything would fall apart. It's essential. In the same way, God's kingdom takes labor. He's charged us to be good stewards of his word and what he's done and to labor for him here. You know, labor is actually all that I know, is all that I know. I don't have very much special training and stuff like that, but I've been a laborer my whole life. And I used to roof houses for $12 an hour, which is terrible. And, <laughs> and I remember, you know, getting up in the morning and getting on that roof and grabbing a pitchfork and stripping that roof and picking up the bundle of shingles and getting poked with the nails and getting scraped by the asphalt and hoping you get it off before that sun comes up because, man, you'll be sweating out there and, and stripping that roof and, and working harder. And, and, and you know what's crazy? At the end of the day, you felt so good. You felt so good. And then you got sick and twisted by the end because then you're looking forward to the next day of doing it again. <laughs> There's something in us that was meant for labor, something in us that we were, we were made to labor. You know, and I remember when I roofed, I was never in, in better shape. I remember every time that I rested, it was sweeter. Every, excuse me, every meal that I had was better just because I was laboring. I was laboring. You know, I remember being up uh, on a roof in Toronto with my friend, it was one of the hottest days of the summer, and by law, we probably shouldn't have been up there. And my boss, he was somewhere having a cold drink, and he left me and my buddy up there, and we had the hose up on the roof, and every couple minutes, we would, we would just hose off, and I was by the Toronto airport, and I said, I said, Billy, look, and there was a plane coming, and it just slowly went over the sun and gave us just a moment of peace from the sun, and we thought, ah... And it passed, it was gone again, and we were cooking up there. But you know something? That's how I want to go out in this life. That's how I want to go out. I want to labor. I want to give it all I got out there. I want to, I want to work for God's kingdom. I want, to, I want to see people come to Christ. 
You know, as I think about my life, when I think about all the awesome things God's done in my life, I had the conclusion the other day, I was like, well, we're not even close to being done yet. We're not even close to being done yet. And I'm, I want to live so expectantly to see all the awesome things he's going to do yet. All the people that I love come to Christ. All the people that I know um, are struggling. I want to see Christ grow and grow in them. I want to see God do awesome things yet. And one thing that we know for sure is that everybody's been given gifts and talents. You know, when it comes to serving, it's so awesome because we see people doing something they typically like. And, and if you're looking, man, where can I serve? What can I do? The hint that I would give you is if there's something you like to do, that's probably the direction you should go in. You know, there's people here who love to worship. There's people here who are awesome with media. There's the brilliant Gary Watson who's never, there's never been a better front man up here I've ever seen in my life. Just incredible, right? And God sets these things in us, and he's given us each something that we can use for his glory we got a, a beautiful uh, airplane pilot here tonight using his gifts, doing his thing, right? God has given us um, um, gifts and talents to use for his kingdom, for um, being a servant. You know, and even if it's opening doors and smiling, there's, there's a place for that as well, you know? And one thing that we need to understand is that time and material wealth, everything comes from God. The truth is that everything comes from God. You know, even the very breath of our lungs um, comes from him. And I think it's important to recognize that. Sometimes we need a shift in our mindset and our attitude um, with the truth about life. Romans 11.36 says this. It says, For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. We live in such a culture that's so self-focused. Me, I want, I'm hurt, I'm this, I'm that. And, you know, not to write off our, 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 our pains and our, and our things we wrestle with, but we've, we've become so self-focused. And, you know, Jesus was so other-focused. He was so other-focused. And I think it's so important for us to have a shift in our mindsets. Um, you know, and we see in Second Timothy, it says, in the end... Um, in the last days, that people will be lovers of self, lovers of self. It'll be a characteristic that you could see in society that, you know, people will just be a lover of self. And we see that so much in the selfie era and, and, and the social media era and all this stuff that we, we're, we're just lovers of ourself. And it's so important to love others. You know, um, when I was going through the hiring process um, to work at Stelco, I was thinking a lot about the pension and the shift work and all these things that were going to be my interest. You know, how much is the pay? And, oh, do I want to do this? And I was praying. I was like, God, can you give me clarity? Should I do this? Should I work in a factory? You know, and I was just thinking, you know, me, me, me. And I was driving one day, and I really feel it was impressed upon me that it was just one single thought. It was, People in a steel factory need to be loved too. And I was kind of grieved in my heart, and I thought, you know what? I am not even thinking along those lines at all. And I needed to shift in my attitude. I needed to shift in my mindset and thinking, that is the most important thing. The pension don't matter. The hourly wage don't matter. None of that stuff matters. The fact is that I was working with lost souls every day who, if they weren't evangelized, was going to spend the rest of eternity apart from God. 
That is the most important thing. And you know something? I, I, by God's grace, went in there. And I know I didn't do it perfectly, but that was the attitude I had. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to love these dudes every day to the best of my ability. I'm going to do that. And, um, you know, I still have some wonderful relationships from there that I continue to uh, enjoy. But that's the ultimate thing is, is, is being others-focused, others right? And that's how Jesus summed up the great commandments. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love others as yourself, right? When we look in the mirror, we don't say, I love you, self, looking good, love yourself. No, you take care of yourself. You really give a lot of thought about yourself. You go out of your way to help yourself. That's the kind of love Jesus is talking about, a deep love, right? One author said this, this is a beautiful thing. He said, our greatest talent is our ability to love. And in this enterprise, the champion is the greatest risk taker, which means the most willing to invest himself where the odds appear most against him. I got to laugh sometimes. There's some rough guys who work out there, you know, and it's so funny. It's like they don't even like to see you smile. You know, they're thinking, what are you so happy about? Just so everybody's got some miserable people at their work. eh? Isn't that awesome? And and. Um, you know, it's just like the odds are most against you, you know, and it's just so great to love people. And, and, and really, at the end of the day, that's all people really need. They really just need God's love. They need to be loved. And I've been watching these videos of um, these homeless people being interviewed in, on the streets of Los Angeles. And this girl was on there. She's a young girl. She was living on the streets uh, since she was 17. And uh, she was addicted to drugs. And the interviewer said... Um, can you tell me um, what it was like the first time you did uh, this drug? And she thought about it, and she said, it was like being loved. And for the rest of her days from then, she's been on this cycle and lifestyle trying to get back to that first feeling of what it was like to feel loved. And that's the world we're living in. We're living in a world that doesn't know the love of Christ. You know, there's a group out there, and, and they say this thing, uh, you know, love, love wins, right? And I agree with that, except you have to define love anymore in this day and age. And I'll tell you the love that wins. It's the pure and holy and truthful love of Christ. That's what wins. And I've seen it. I've seen people in dark, dungy places, and the love of Christ come in and touch their heart and draw them back to Christ and, and allow God to do a work in their life. And that's what we're called for. And in fact, Jesus' followers says in the Bible that they will know us by our love. You know, I really think it starts and it finishes here. We can have all the programs and razzle-dazzle, but if we don't sincerely and truly love people, we'll be missing it. We're called to love. Let's be lovers of people in this place. Just lastly, number three, we'll um, go through this and we'll, we'll, we'll get going here. And it says, um, Titus, I'm just going to look at Titus. See if you have your Bibles, go to Titus uh, 2.11, 2.11 here. And uh, this is a wonderful verse here. And it says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinless, sinful pleasures we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when God, excuse me, when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. You know, it gives us, 
We're being uh, future focused. You know, we're thinking of the end. We have the end in mind. We're thinking, you know, Jesus is coming back. If not, I'm going to meet him at the end of my life. And we're living in such a way with that in mind. We're staying focused on what's to come. We're eternity focused. There was a gentleman that I stumbled uh, across here by the name of C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd. And you can tell by the picture he lived up to his name. But um, this gentleman, he was born in like 1836, and he was an incredible cricket player. He's one of the best cricket players in England in those days. And something really cool happened in his life. Said the preacher asked him if he believed God's promises to give believers eternal life. And as CT would only go so far as to profess he believed Jesus Christ died. The guest pressed the point, and C.T. then believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And uh, his name was Charles. He recalled at that moment, he said, I got down on my knees, and I said, thank you to God. And right then, there was joy and peace that came into my soul. I knew then what what it was to be born again. And the Bible, which had been so dry to me before, became everything. Stud continued from Eton to Trinity College in Cambridge, where he graduated in 1883. In 1884, after his brother George was taken seriously ill, Charles was confronted by the question, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes face to face with eternity? He had to admit that since his conversion six years earlier, he had been in an unhappy, backslidden state. And as a result of the experience, he said, I know that cricket would not last, and honor would not last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. Living for the world to come. And this man, he quit playing cricket, and he became part of the Cambridge Seven, which joined a man named Hudson Taylor, and they sailed off to China and evangelized China and started schools and churches there. And one really cool thing is that he married one of his fellow missionary ladies, and they had four daughters. And he said that he believed God gave him four daughters to show the Chinese people the value of little girls. Isn't that nice? And Sorry, I got little girls. Nice. And uh, he, said, he said this during his missionary uh, journey. He said, some people want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Isn't that great? And I really believe he, this is somebody who got it. He got it. He seen how fleeting life was, and he became eternity-focused, and he built his life around that. And I'm just going to leave you today with a poem that he wrote. And uh, you might have heard it before. Um, it's called, Only One Life Twill Soon Be Passed. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, 
gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. When this bright world would attempt would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, fa- give me Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, thy, world, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Oh, let my love with fever burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. I know I'll say, twas worth it all. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, as true as we're sitting here today, we'll be in God's kingdom one day. And the more that that comes close to our heart, the more faithful we'll be, the more fruitful we'll be. It's a, it's a beautiful pleasure to know the Lord. And my prayer is for each of us that Yes, we would fill our lamps and keep them full and that we would recognize that we are servants for our God and that we would say, Lord, where would you have me? Lord, what would I do, God? Um, Where can I labor, God, for you? And I trust that he'll lead us into that. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you um, for this evening. I thank you for each person here, God, and I thank you that you've called them, Lord, and um, you know each one's stories here, God, and that you have a plan and a purpose for each one, Lord. I pray tonight, God, that your spirit comes and just impresses yourself upon each heart, God, to know that you are real, that you are near, and that your love for us is great, God. God, would you continue to lead us by your spirit in this church and in our families and in our communities, God? And um, will we continue to shine bright in an ever-darkening world, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.